0: Hey guys, thanks for joining me online. Did you know you're one of about 7,000 people who watches our messages every week? And I'm so glad you're on the journey with me spiritually and with Connection Point. You're about to start a series called Greater Things, and it's all about the vision for where God's taking us as a movement. I just want you to know, whether you're watching from Chicago, from Phoenix, from anywhere in the world, that we consider you part of our movement. And I wanna encourage you to join me and join this church family in what God is doing now. To learn more about how you can be involved, visit connectionpoint.org, click on greater things, and you can learn more about the vision, about what we're going to do, how God is going to work, and how you can join in. Well, happy Mother's Day to our moms, and welcome all those of you who are watching online. We know we've got about 400 people watching right now, and over the course of this week, thousands more of you will watch online. Welcome those of you who are over in The Point. It's been a great Mother's Day service and a great Mother's Day. This week I was thinking about my mom and I wonder if you'd think back to your childhood about some of those most tender moments that you had with your mom. Uh, For me, it's that I was sick a lot as a kid and I've got a lot of memories of sitting on the couch watching this old movie called Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. It probably explains why I'm such a car guy, you know, now that I think about it. But here's a picture of me and my mom when I was just a, a little tyke and Yeah, my mom's a southern lady, just full of love. And actually, a few months after this, I started to get really sick. I got this disease called Kawasaki's disease. It's pronounced and spelled just like the motorcycle, but it's not nearly as fun as the motorcycle. And uh, here's a picture of me when I was kind of grumpy. And, you know, I just think all those times when I was crying or sick and how moms, they just love unconditionally and so thanklessly and you know I looked at this picture and obviously we're at a beach and it looks like a day that should be a good day for everyone but I'm that kid that's crying and uh, we've all been there where you know there's just a grumpy child and I just want to encourage you if you've got grumpy kids if your kids are crying hang in there You never know uh, what they might do when they grow up. (laughs) Hopefully, they'll turn out to be something good. Keep hanging in there, uh, moms, and, and don't give up on loving those kids. Here's a question. What's the best gift we can give our moms on Mother's Day? Now, my wife and I were talking about this, and we started joking around a little bit, and we looked around on the internet, and we found some kind of funny answers to this. Here's one that I think the young moms in particular will relate to. This mom tweeted, all I want for Mother's Day is to sleep for nine straight hours, wake up to the sound of coffee brewing, and then have my husband say things like, I'm gonna take the kids all day so you can sit on the couch in your PJs and buy your Mother's Day gift in peace. (laughs) (laughs) Any moms in here agree? I'm, I'm hearing some agreement with that. Here's another one that we thought was pretty funny. I don't wanna sleep like a baby. I just want to sleep like my husband. Yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of affirmation of that one in all the services. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, over the scope of an entire lifetime, I think this is a pretty safe answer of really the best gift any mom could have. What do moms really want? They want children who are happy, children who are healthy. Children who are satisfied and who are free, that's really the best gift that you can give to a mom. And isn't this what every parent really wants? We want to see our children thriving. We want to see our kids in deep, rewarding relationships and using their gifts and living a life of purpose, a life that's free from addiction and free from enslavement to anything that's dark. But you know, what can we do to set our kids up for that? What can we do to ensure that? I mean, we all want this for our kids, but don't we all have days when we feel like maybe we're failing at it? I know that I do. I know there's times with my three kids who are in elementary and they're just normal kids. I don't wanna paint them in a bad light here, okay? But there's times where I might see them in an interaction with a friend they have over or something else and I think, man that whole like selfless giving living for other people thing I don't know if we're getting there (laughs) you guys know what I'm talking about like it's hard it ain't easy to raise kids to be selfless and loving and find their joy and fulfillment and purpose in the things that really are rewarding it's very much swimming upstream we all have this closing window of time with our kids even adult kids this closing window of time during which we can influence them. And I think what we're asking is this, how can we make our children blessed by God? How can we make them successful and how can we help them grow up to be godly, to be people who love God? You know, what can I do to make sure my kids aren't entitled when they grow up? What can we do? What can we do to make sure our kids actually love others and to ensure they live a A life where they know the joy of deeply knowing God, where they experience the power of God. Well, if God answered this question, would you want to know his answer to this question? I know as a dad, I do, and this is what I love about the word of God. He speaks to our lives. And in Psalm 112, believe it or not, God directly answers that question. And here's what he says. It says, praise the Lord, how joyful are those who fear the Lord. Now, you might look at that sentence and think, wait, people who fear God are joyful? That's weird. Wouldn't they be, like, scared? And here's the idea of fearing God from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible. It's this idea of having this big view of God that he's in control of everything. And there's nothing that could go wrong in your life. There's no problem you could ever encounter that he can't fix, that he can't handle. And it's this awareness that he's almighty God. He breathed the galaxies into existence. And with a snap of his fingers, he can strike people dead and he can raise dead people to life. And when you have this big view of God, it's scary if you're not on his side. But as followers of Jesus, we know that through our faith in what Christ did on the cross, we are on God's side. And so he's only ever going to use that power to help us. And so this idea of fearing the Lord in scripture, it's really kind of like this idea of my dad could beat up your dad, but my dad is my heavenly father, he's almighty God. And you know what, the universe, evil people, problems, drunk drivers, cancer, those things may all come into our lives and come against us, but my dad is bigger. My dad is stronger. And that's what this idea of fearing God is. And when you have that big view of God, and you know that He's on your side because you've believed in Jesus, it brings a joy to your life, a joy that you have no matter what you're going through. And these people who rightly view God for how big He is, they're people who delight in obeying His commands. That's the Bible or the Word of God. And we delight in obeying His commands not because we're necessarily rule followers by nature. You know, some kids are naturally rule followers. Some kids aren't. I wasn't, okay? So be patient with the ones who aren't. They might still turn out, okay? And some of us look at the Bible and we say, oh, it's a book of rules. Like, why would I want that? But it's not a book of rules. What it is is the engineer who designed you and who knows how you operate, who knows what will fulfill you and what will hurt you, he said, here's how you work. Here's how the universe works. And you get a choice. You can do it God's way or not. And what the word of God is, is him saying, here's how you handle your sexuality. Here's how you handle your identity. Here's how you handle your relationships. Here's where you find your fulfillment. And when you do it God's way, you find yourself in alignment with the universe he created and life starts to work because you're doing it the way that the creator designed for it to work. Well, these people who respect God and delight in obeying his word, look at verse two. It says, their children will be successful everywhere. And then this sentence here is really what this message is about. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. I mean, just think about the significance of those words. An entire generation will be godly and will be blessed because of how these parents and grandparents lived. Now, if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, we're in a series right now called Greater Things. And it's our vision as a church. Where are we going? And there are three components of this vision, but the one that we're focusing on today is that we want to raise the strongest generation possible. Did you know that nationally in the United States, there's a, a, a strong movement away from Christianity? It's a, a social current. Every generation of Americans is a little bit less Christian than their parents. And in fact, right now, the fastest-growing religion in the United States is young people who are called the nuns. That is, they don't believe anything. They're agnostic is the formal word for it. That's the fastest-growing religion in the U.S. I used to be a research journalist, and when I left my journalism career and became a pastor, I wanted to see what is the state of the church in America? And here's what I found from multiple researchers, respected researchers, that the average across the United States right now is that two out of three young people who are raised in Christian homes, two out of three will abandon that Christian faith by the time they hit their 30th birthday. So somewhere between 18 and 29, the American church is losing the majority of its young people. And one of the reasons is that maybe we parents and grandparents are underestimating how rapidly the culture is changing. Maybe we're taking for granted that they'll just absorb our faith. And so what we're doing as a church as we chart out our vision for the future is we're saying we are gonna be intentional to defy that trend. We're gonna be intentional to raise the strongest generation possible. In fact, that's why I moved my family across the country here to Indiana because this is a church that's already doing that. And so as we say we're gonna raise the strongest generation, what we're doing as a church is we're really building on an area where we have great strength. And the reason for that is the generations before us have done exactly what this passage says. They've respected God, they've obeyed his word, and as we're gonna see, they were also generous. We'll see that as a theme as we go throughout this. Now we're realizing the baton has been handed to us. And in this church which has existed, this specific church, for 180 years, founded in 1837, now the baton is ours. And we get to choose, on our watch, will the kingdom of God expand or will it contract? And we've decided we're going to invest in our young people like never before because we want an entire generation of godly people to be blessed. Well, this passage continues and it says that, those who respect God, who obey his word, they themselves will be wealthy. Now, some people twist that and say like, hey, give money to the church and you'll have a mansion and drive a Rolls Royce. That's not really the idea here. But don't go too far the other way because the idea is if you prioritize God with your generosity, with your time, with your heart, he will meet your needs. He will provide your daily bread. You're not gonna be... Uh, without your essential needs met when you're prioritizing God and his work in your life. And look at this, their good deeds will last forever. We've talked in this series about that historic moment when the United States landed on the moon and put a man on the moon and how it took 40 years thousand people to make that happen, scientists and engineers and astronauts, and we talked about the woman who sewed the fabric on Neil Armstrong's astronaut suit, and that so many of these 40,000 people who it took for this historic accomplishment, so many of them for the rest of their lives, they were like, I was part of that. I was part of the lunar landing, and they tell their kids and their grandkids, and it becomes part of their identity. They were part of something historic. And we've seen that with this Greater Things campaign, we have the opportunity to be part of something historic. But it's not just historic like the lunar landing. You know, someday Christ will return and scripture says that this heaven and earth will pass away, God's gonna melt down this earth and he's gonna start over and make a perfect earth someday where there's not earthquakes and hurricanes and tsunamis because this world's broken by sin. Point is this, there are good deeds you can do that last forever. And I think of those 12 or so original people who started this church in the year 1837 in a little log cabin, before electricity, before indoor plumbing, and they planted these seeds of faithfulness. They said, we believe God's gonna work in this area of Indiana. And they planted those seeds of faithfulness. And you know what, they never could have imagined that 180 years later, we would have on an Easter weekend 8,000 people in this church. They never could have imagined 37 people placing their faith in Christ over one weekend. They never could have imagined what we do now, but we're here because of their faithfulness. They did good deeds that will last forever. And now they're in heaven, but guess what? There's a whole bunch of other people in heaven because of them, and there will be more. And so now it's up to us to say, we're gonna invest our lives into good deeds that will last forever. Well, the passage goes on, verse four says that light shines in the darkness for the godly. The godly are generous, they're compassionate, they're righteous. Verse four says, good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. Maybe in your family or maybe you've got a friend where their family's like this, there's a great grandparent or maybe it's a grandparent who's still alive And the kids and grandkids know these kind of legendary stories about how grandma always prayed or how grandpa was always reading the word of God, or maybe it's much more practical things in your family, but it's this thing that those who live a godly life, they are remembered. And we know this not only from our own lives, we also know this from recent history. Martin Luther King Jr., you know what? He was righteous, he was a follower of Jesus. Martin Luther King Jr., Harriet Tubman, Abraham Lincoln, these were devout followers of Jesus who lived righteous lives. They weren't perfect, but they were constantly pursuing the word of God. And guess what? They're long remembered, just like scripture promises. You know other people who you might not realize when you hear Harvard University, its referring to the Reverend John Harvard, who was also a righteous follower of Jesus. Johns Hopkins, founders of the Mayo Clinic I could go on and on, but let's keep going through our text here, okay? They do not fear bad news. These people who have a high view of God and obey his word, they don't fear bad news, why is that? Well, because they're confident, and they trust in the Lord to care for them. So their confidence is not in their circumstances. Bad things still happen to good people. But when those bad things happen, we have a confident trust, God is gonna meet my needs. God will always sustain me no matter what I go through. He'll always deliver me. He'll always turn it and work it for good in time as I continue to trust in him. They're confident and fearless and they can face their foes triumphantly. They share freely and they give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever and they will have influence and honor. So what was the theme of this chapter or... Another way to say it is what's the answer to our question about setting up our kids and our grandkids to be that blessed, successful generation? Here it is. A generous generation produces a blessed generation. We saw that in verses one and two and throughout that entire short chapter. A generous generation toward God and his purposes produces a generation that loves God And is blessed. So if we'll love God's word, if we'll do what it says, and if we'll prioritize God in our lifestyles, God says this is the best way to set up your kids and grandkids for success and for blessing and to be a godly generation themselves. Let's look back at verse two. Their children will be successful everywhere. And that theme verse that I just love, an entire generation of godly people We'll be blessed i want to shout out to our middle school and high schoolers who are in here with us in all our weekend services it was so fun to have our high school worship team leading us in worship i love this reality that our middle and high schoolers they're not just the future of the church they're the present tense of our church and so many of them are choosing to love god and to find their identity in christ and they're able to do so because so many of you have created this facility and this staff and this culture and this movement, this environment where they have a safe place to really ask the hard questions and to really decide for themselves what they believe. Well, I want to share with you today two things that you can do, that we can do, to position our children and our grandchildren for that success that we want for them, that blessing from God that we desire for them, and the godliness that we hope they will choose and pray that they choose. And the first is this, that we can delight in obeying the word of God. You saw that right there in in verses one and two, that these righteous people whose children are blessed, they delight not just in knowing the word of God, but in doing it. And I wanna encourage our moms today, you know, I was thinking about how kids come to parents for advice. And my kids are, are all young enough right now that they're still in that season of life where they really, really like our advice and respect it, but from what I've heard, apparently that switch flips. And from what I've heard, it happens pretty quickly. Like, you know, you go from being the answer to every question to one day they wake up and now you don't know anything. I mean, from what I've heard, there's nothing in the middle. It just goes directly from one to the other. I'm not looking forward to that too much. But here's what I want to encourage you, moms especially, guess what, you will have more hours of interaction and more interactions with your child as they form their decisions of what they believe, where they will look to for guidance, you'll have more than anyone else in the world. And even if that switch is flipped and they act like, oh, I don't want your advice anymore, guess what? They're still watching your life. They're still watching, and the opportunity we have as moms, as dads, as grandparents, is to point them back to the word of God as the source that will lead them to a life of freedom and protect them from a life of slavery and addiction. And we can point them to the word of God, yes, directly with our words. We can also point them to the word of God with our example. Because guess what they're doing from middle school, high school, through those college years? They're watching your life. They're watching to see, okay, mom and dad say that the word of God is their guide, but do they actually do it? And they're watching to see, how does this work for mom and dad? And if they come to the conclusion that mom and dad kind of show up at church and put on a church face for other people, but in reality they're not that into it, then guess what? They're likely to reach the conclusion that it probably doesn't matter all that much, like two out of three in the United States are doing. The kids I know from my generation who've defied those odds, the one in three who are not just still believers, but they're serving God and they're doing great things for the kingdom of God, very often they had parents who were right in the middle of what God is doing. And so I want to give you a step that you can take to apply this. First, if you don't have a Bible that you love reading, we'd love to give you today a life application study Bible at our Connection Corner. If you're watching online, you can just ask the online host. We'll get one of those to you. But here's another step that you can take today. Step further into the committed core of what God is doing. And here's what I mean. You know, there's this word church, comes from an old word for the gathering. And really what a church is, is a movement of God's people. And any church, if you move anywhere you ever go, you want it to be Bible-centered because that's what keeps us in the middle of God's power. Any church you ever go to, it's not gonna have power unless it's preaching Jesus as God and the word of God as the guide for what we do and believe. And here's what I've seen. When you move into the middle of what God is doing in a local church or an active movement of God like Connection Point, you start to see his miracles. When you're out on the edges, you might kind of see it, but it's when you're in the middle that you see the lives changed, that you see people healed, that you see marriages restored, that you see addictions completely broken. I wanna show you this visual of the way I think of the thousands of us in this movement now, if you think outside of this circle, out here is kind of the crowd and the community, right? Greater Brownsburg, Avon, Hendricks County, parts of Indianapolis, and then there's the curious, the people who are curious about Connection Point. Maybe they come at Easter, maybe they're here at Christmas. They might come a few times throughout the year. They're curious, they're not necessarily committed to the church. But, and that's okay if that's where you've been. What's so exciting about this Greater Things vision is it gives you an opportunity to move from being curious into being committed. And I want to encourage you, wherever you find yourself on here, this Greater Things vision, it's an opportunity to say, I will take one step in closer to the heart, because I want to be right at the heart of what God is doing. I want to see miracles. I want to see life change. And guess what? When your kids witness that, they're much more likely to understand that God is real and alive and active right now. What are the committed? Well, the committed are those people who say, you know what, unless I'm sick or out of town or have to work, I'm going to be in the house of God. Why? Because I delight in obeying God's word, and I want my family to be centered around that. The committed often, as they move deeper in, they start to serve here somewhere. We've got all sorts of serving teams. And then what's the core? Well, the core is those people who are committed, and in their commitment, they say, I'm going to Financially put God first in my life and be a consistent contributor to what God's doing. And it's easy for uh, us maybe to take them for granted, but it's because of this core that the lights are on right now because the electricity bill was paid. It's because of this core that there's a stage here. It's because of this core that we have a staff and the staff has health insurance and they're taken care of in their lives. And it's In this core, the deeper you get into it, that you see God work in your life and in the lives of the people around you. Earlier when we took communion, one of our elders, his name's Harvey, he led us in communion. Harvey's just an awesome, awesome brother. He's an engineer over at Rolls-Royce. And you know what Harvey, uh, what I love about him is when I showed up here, he's got his two elementary age kids, they're backstage with him. They're just part of what he's doing as he's serving God. I was talking with Harvey a couple weeks ago about spring break. You know, what did you guys do for spring break? Did you you know, go on a trip anywhere? And nothing wrong with going to Florida or anywhere else. We all need vacations. But guess what Harvey and his family did? They drove up to Chicago. We have a missionary we support up there. Her name is Miss Pearl. And Miss Pearl has a home for, uh, this is in the roughest part of inner city Chicago. And when a a high school age girl gets pregnant and is thinking about having an abortion, Miss Pearl's there to say, hey, you can spare that life, and if you have that baby, I will help you raise that baby here at, at this house that she has. And so this house is full of these, these babies and these really young moms, and so Harvey and his wife Yasmin, they took their kids and for spring break. That's what they did is they went up there and they served those families. Now, what's my point? My point is kids who grow up doing things like that are gonna have a very different, very bigger view of God and how real he is and how practical he is than kids who show up at church for just Christmas and Easter, okay? Now, wherever you are on here, great, but I wanna encourage you, not out of shame or guilt, but in love, I wanna say, take one step deeper in. Just take one step deeper in. What does that look like? Well, it looks like saying, I'm gonna commit, if you're out here, to actually, you know what, unless we're sick or out of town, we're gonna be at church, we're gonna be engaged with the word of God. I'd encourage you, as we make our commitments, This. Greater Things Vision is a two-year window where we're upping our giving for two years. And you might be here and you might be like, I've never given before. Well, guess what? You got an opportunity to massively improve in that area, okay? And I wanna encourage you to just think realistically, okay? Because here's the thing. Every one of us in here, we are part of the committed core of some organization. Here's an organization that most of us are in the committed core for. It's called Netflix, Netflix, right? Why are we in the committed core? Well, because Netflix knows every month they're gonna get $9 or $15 from me and you because we're part of the core and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a great organization. I like what they do for me, okay? It's a great thing. You're in the committed core. Most of us in here, we are in the committed core of either Verizon or Sprint or AT&T or T-Mobile, right? And every month, every month we send them, you know, 40 or 150 or whatever your cell phone bill is, you send that to them every month and you're not like, oh man, why do I have to do that? Because you, you understand that you're part of something and, and by the way, if you stopped paying Verizon or AT&T and T-Mobile, whichever one your service provider is, and then you're like, why is my phone not working? You, you'd know why, right? Now here's the thing, salvation is a free gift from God. We don't pay money to God or a church to get our salvation. Jesus paid the price when he died on the cross in our place. So we don't give to try to buy God's favor. But as we grow in our relationship with Christ, and as we desire to obey the word of God, we encounter passages like the one we studied last week where Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart follows. And Jesus says, what you do with your money is a spiritual choice. And so if you haven't been doing anything, I'd encourage you to just take a baby step in here and just match your Netflix payment or match your Verizon payment or match your car payment and say, you know what, for this two-year window, there's 24 months, I'm gonna commit to either 15 a month or 80 a month and I'm gonna take my step into really being committed to what God is doing because I don't just wanna be in the curious crowd, I wanna get closer to the heart of what he's doing. You know, our, our goal as a movement, all of us together, is that in this two-year window of greater things from June of this year to June of 2021, that all of us who are giving regularly would increase our giving by 50%. And if we do that, we'll reach the target of what it'll cost for how we wanna invest in the next generation, reach more people online, and pay down the mortgage on this facility. So if you're a regular giver, I'd encourage you to pray about that as a target of at least 50% and do it, of course, as unto God. Last week, we saw a video testimony from a family that was here during the Unstoppable campaign, and that's before I was here. And they were already in the core. They were regular supporters of what God's doing here. They were growing. They were seeing God at work in their lives. And they prayed, and God gave them a number. And the husband and wife, they looked at each other, and they said, that number's crazy. We don't think we could do it. And the summary of the story is that they committed to that number, they are pinching pennies, Christmas was slim because they are prioritizing the word of God and the work of God, and then about nine months later, they had a client come into their business and it ended up being a kind of windfall thing and that amount ended up being exactly what they had increased to God. Now I don't tell you that story to say, make a big increase and nine months from now you'll get a check for that amount, okay? That's not the way it works. We we don't give saying, well, if I give, God has to bless me. But there is this principle, and it takes some wisdom to understand it, because it's not about manipulating God. But when you do seek first God, and you give out of a heart that's for his kingdom, he does always meet your needs. And I've experienced this, and I've witnessed it in ways that are very powerful and, and tricky for me to try to summarize. But I'll tell you a little bit of my journey. When I was a young, quote, senior pastor, I left my journalism career, I became the pastor of a church of 40 people. And the church started growing, and we were up to about 200 people, and God brought along some very mature, godly couples who were helping me understand just how to be a pastor and what it looked like. And one day they took me aside and they said, John, we need you to teach a series on giving. And I said, "Uh, no thank you, that's super awkward. Okay, I don't wanna talk about that, and the church is doing fine financially, we don't need to do that, and they said, John, it's not about you, and it's not about how the church is doing financially. They said, we're here, we are where we are in our relationships with God, because there were pastors along the way who were bold enough to teach us that prioritizing God in our finances is for our benefit. And they said, you've gotta teach what the word of God says on this, because it will help the people grow, and that's your job, is to help them grow. And so I did, and guess what? As I taught that series, it grew me. And I moved from, yeah, I was here with my time, but I was probably here with my finances, and I really started to make God my first and best priority. And guess what? That old saying that you can't outgive God, has been true. Uh, it's been true. I mean, they, they challenged me to do that, and then some journalism award comes in from journalism work I had done you know, when, before I was a pastor. $10,000 award comes in. I'm like, whoa, I should have given more, you know? And <laughs> But here's the thing. I I just want to encourage you, you know, don't fall for the false teaching over here that says God has to bless you, you know. Don't fall for that. But also don't fall for the teaching over here that says he's not going to look out for you if you prioritize his kingdom. What I've seen in my experience from those families in Arizona, in my life, families I've met in California, families I've met here, I've never met a person who's incredibly generous to the work of God, who's not very well taken care of by God. And it's, it's gotta be done for the right reasons. And it's done with a heart that says, my real treasure's in heaven. And if nothing comes back to me in this life, that's okay, I'm investing in the next life. But it is ironic how much the people who do that, it's almost like God's like, well, if you're gonna, if you're gonna use it that way, maybe I'll send a little more your way. So wherever you are in your journey, I just wanna encourage you, this is about you experiencing the faithfulness of God It's about you getting right in the middle of the heart of what he's doing. And all this comes from this text we read because here's the second thing we can do to position our children and grandchildren for success. We can give generously to God's priorities. We can give generously to God's priorities. As we read through that text, you might have noticed this, that the word generous appears three times in those nine verses. The word generous appears three times as it describes these parents whose children will be godly and blessed. And we saw throughout the text that this generosity, it's not from guilt, it's not from shame, and it's also not trying to like work God over, like God, you're gonna have to bless me because I do this, but it comes from a reverence and respect for God as the giver and provider. In other words, God, everything I have was from you, so I'm gonna return the first to you, as an act of me saying, you're my provider. And then so often when we return that first to him, he always meets our needs, and very often he surprises us with them. I want to show you a true story of how so many in our church movement have prioritized the next generation. And we've got this powerful discipleship movement happening here with our middle and high school students. And it's because of many of you, and for others of us, now we get a chance to step into it. But as you watch this true story of one of our seniors named Matt, I want you to think about a couple things. First, I want you to grasp how difficult it is to be a follower of Jesus in middle or high school today. You know, I'm 36, and this last week I was preparing this message and I was thinking, how long has it been since I was 16? And I did the math and I realized, wow, 20 years. I'm a lot older than I think I am and I'm a lot more out of touch than I think I am because society is rapidly changing, and what life is like for a middle school and high school student now, it's not what it was like for me 20 years ago. It's not what it was like for the rest of us in this room who have been decades beyond that. They're living in a, in a time where following Jesus really takes some courage and some boldness. It's not the culturally easy thing to do. The second thing I want you to see in this video is I want you to see the face of your own child or grandchild. Here's what I mean, when I saw Matt's story, it brought me to tears because I saw this guy, Matt, but in him I saw my nine-year-old son, Jack. And I saw these are the decisions Jack's gonna be wrestling with in the next nine years that I have him in my house as he decides, do I really believe what mom and dad believe? Is this really my identity? Go ahead and take a look at Matt's story.
1: I've gone to church for as long as I can remember. Parents would always bring me every single week. And throughout my life, like younger years, I just kind of came because that's just what was normal for me. It was the kind of the routine. Then as I kind of continued to grow older, I kind of started to be like, why do I do this? Why is this our routine? There's so many families that don't. So why do we want to do this? My parents serve on the security team, and they still do today. Then my cousin started leading a small group, so I would go back with him whenever I was serving to be with the kids. I've always loved being around kids. Serving with those pre-K group with my cousin, I learned what it was like to build a relationship with those kids that you see each and every week that keep coming back. And now I lead a small group of second graders and a small group of seventh graders each and every week. The second graders now i've been with since they were in pre-k and so that's been four years now the seventh graders i started with last year in sixth grade so i've been with them for two years now serving is truly what had the largest impact on me because it it's answered the question for me like why am i here i'm here to love others and hopefully through the love that i show others they will come to christ in my faith it's made it personal. It's made it beyond just something where I just kind of think and theorize. It's become something that I know and live out. Being a Christian in high school and actually living out your faith is not something that's common. There's a handful of people who do. There's also a lot of people who have no faith at all. There's some people that have a faith, but they don't live it out quite as much. The biggest influences in my faith have been my friends Kyle and Sam. They brought me in, they invited me to work out with them, and when we were working out we had a lot of time to just kind of chat about life, chat about God. We would challenge each other with the questions that we would bring to each other, we'd challenge each other with the struggles that we brought. We'd challenge each other to grow, not just physically and muscular, but to actually grow spiritually as well. And we've continued to do that for the past several years and even though all three of us are going to different colleges, it's something that we hope to continue throughout college and hopefully the rest of our lives as well. So I'm not planning to go into full-time ministry as a job, I'm actually planning to go into physical therapy, but I am interning for Tony Regato, our middle school's small groups director so I can learn how to be a better small group leader. I knew that learning how to be a better small group leader and continuing to lead small groups throughout college and even after college would be something that would be a huge part of my life. So learning how to do that better so I can feed into the next generation was an opportunity that I knew I couldn't pass up on. I feel like I've built a solid foundation and I've got a group of people around me people my age, people older than me. When there's something that comes my way that I don't know where to go, I have other people who I know will point me back towards God. And that is what gives me confidence moving out of high school, that this isn't something that I'm just gonna look past as something that I did in high school, but it's gonna be something that I take beyond high school that I actually continue to live out throughout the rest of my life. Even though I've been around in the church for a while, that I've grown up in the church, I have a story that can inspire others. I'm not just somebody who's grown up, but like I am somebody who's been able to live out my faith and that is, it's actually possible to do.
0: Isn't that great? Matt represents hundreds of young people here who continue choosing to follow Jesus through college. And beyond, and I just love how he closed that. It's actually possible to do. We can be aware of how the world is changing and how society is changing, and it doesn't have to intimidate us. And what this greater things vision is all about is saying, we're going to understand the world we live in, and we're going to relate the unchanging word of God to it, and we're going to raise up a generation who are warriors of grace and truth. It is possible to do it. And because of so many of you who are serving, who are giving, we are doing it. And for others of you who've been curious or a little bit committed, this is a chance to say, I'm putting a stake in the ground for my family. We're gonna do it. We're gonna raise the strongest generation possible. I loved Matt's story because as you watched those video images, you saw him in our Kid City space for our elementary students. You saw him in our student center for our high school and middle students. Guess what, those exist. Because the last time this church had a vision campaign before I was here, People from this church said, yes, that's a vision that aligns with the word of God. We will step out and support it. So many of you, it's because of you and what you invested that Matt is where he's at spiritually. And now the baton is passed to us, those of us who are new within the last few years, and we get to say, will we continue this thing? This church for 180 years continues to expand, and the kingdom of God, we're taking territory. And what we're saying is, you know what? We are going to prioritize God in our households, in our lives, so that we keep taking territory. And when we do that, our kids and grandkids will be blessed according to Psalm 112. So how can we do that? Well, I want to give you a practical step. I want you to think for an entire generation, as you make your two-year commitment to greater things, as you pray about God, what's the number you're calling me to do? Think about that entire generation that will be affected. And then answer this question, what does generous look like for me? We saw that word generous three times in those nine verses. And generous is different for every one of us. For the widow who's on social security, generous might be matching that Netflix of $15 a month and she's pinching pennies and that's it. After our service last night, a fifth grader went out to our commitment table and said, I got some money for my birthday and I have an allowance and I've been wanting to give back to God and guess what, she filled out one of the commitment cards and that just made my day, that's what it's all about, that's what generous is for her. Wherever you are, this is just a chance to take a step in saying I'm gonna prioritize God and just like Verizon can count on me and Netflix can count on me, the kingdom of God can count on me because it matters to me. Others of us in the room, maybe you've been prospered. God has blessed you, and you know who you are. Scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. The question for each of us is, what does generous look like for me? Now, on your way in, there was a commitment card on your seat, and if you want to pull it out, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to fill it out and hand it in today, okay? But go ahead and touch it and know that it's not going to bite you, okay? But it does have power to set you free, and I want you to just look at this and I'll kind of walk you through it. Here's this first line is, here's what I would expect to give in a year. Now if you're here and you're like, well that's a zero so it probably doesn't apply to me, guess what? It does apply to you. If, if zero is what you would have expected to give in a year, then put a zero there and guess what? Most improved, okay? If that was a zero, that's actually awesome. That means you're taking a huge step in your relationship with God as it relates to your finances, which God says connect to your heart. So even if that's a zero, then add in, here's what I will give this year. You know, if I can do 80 a month for Verizon, I multiply that by 12, I'm at least gonna match that. Or maybe you're further along and you've been doing something consistent. You're like, I'm going to start moving toward that 10% of my income goal. Whatever that is, that number will be between you and God and our finance department, okay? But it's not for me to see. It's for you and God to know, like, what is that? And then you multiply it by two years because we're talking about a two-year commitment here, 24 months that all of us are making. And then this next line down is maybe something that you sell or dig into savings. Here's what this looked like for me and Mel. You know, all the elders here, the leadership team and myself, we've all filled these out, we've all prayed about our commitments. And as Mel and I prayed about that commitment, knowing, okay, a 50% increase for this two year window, that's the target, we decided we're gonna go a little bit above that. And as we said, how are we gonna do that? Well, we found some areas in the budget where we could pinch some pennies, but ultimately it was like, we're not quite there. How do we get there? And then we realized, well, we've got this money that we've saved up to remodel the master bathroom. Nothing wrong with remodeling a master bathroom. But as I prayed about it, I had this moment where I realized, you know what, 50 years from now, when I'm 86, I'm not gonna be using that bathroom. I'm either gonna be in a retirement home or in my heavenly mansion, which will have an awesome bathroom, okay? (laughs) And we just kind of realized, like, you know what, let's take that money we had set aside for that project and let's just say, God, we're gonna prioritize you above that for these next two years. And so this line is if God leads you to do something like that. There's a family that came to us recently and said, we've got some land, can we gift that to the church? And I love that, because in the book of Acts, that happened all the time. People were selling houses and land, but all this is between you and God to say, God, what does generous look like for me? You don't have to worry about what it looks like for someone else, but you should worry about what it looks like for you. And here's my biggest goal. The leadership team, early on, they said, John, what's the goal for this campaign? Well, the goal's to raise the strongest generation, to reach more people. I said, well, but for our people. What's the goal for our people? Is it the dollar amount? I said, no, it's not the dollar amount. As a shepherd, as a leader, as someone who's experienced God in this way, my goal is that everyone would fill out a commitment card, even if it goes from zero to $10 a month, I want everyone to experience God in this realm of their lives. And so as you make your way out in the lobby, you're going to see underneath the greater things sign on the wall, you're going to see this huge space for our jars. Because what happens is when you make a commitment, you're going to get a jar. And you might notice here's some of the jars here. But look, there's space for a whole lot more. Because that is our biggest goal, is that everyone who calls Connection Point home would make some commitment as unto God, as an act of worship so that you can experience God's faithfulness in these next two years. So right now we've got about 1,900 regular givers here. There's space here for more than 2,000 of these jars. Why? Because in the last two years, there's a lot of us who are new. And I know some of you, you've been new and you're curious and you've moved to committed and now's the time to say I'm part of the committed, I'm part of the core of this church, here's kind of a close up of how your jar will magnet on to this wall. So if you make your commitment today, these jars are out in the lobby next weekend in our service, we're gonna have a time where all of us will come forward to bring our commitments and you'll get a jar and you'll have a Sharpie. And if you look at my jar, you'll see that it says Dickerson here. So the idea is you write your family name there and then these are all gonna be on that wall for the next two years. So when you and I walk into that lobby, will know this building's here because of me. The next generation is being changed because of me. We're reaching thousands of people online because of me. I'm part of this thing. And so we don't want you to miss out. We do want you to be part of that. And what we're gonna do right now is I just wanna give you just a couple minutes to stay seated and with that commitment card, go ahead and open it up in your lap and maybe get out a pen or pencil. And our next generation, our high school worship team, They're gonna lead us in a worship song. And if you're led to pray for your kids or grandkids or the future of this church, feel free to do so. But if you haven't started actually putting down some numbers of what your commitment would be, use this two minutes and don't worry about the people around you. No one should be looking at you. They should be thinking about them and God. You just think about you and God as our high schoolers lead us in worship. And start to get down some numbers, even if that first one was a zero or whatever it was, and say, God, What does generous look like for me as I prioritize your kingdom in my family? Let's do that now.